Um, 33 years ago, my dad sat all of us down to tell us that he was leaving. I was 12 years old, and my whole world changed that day. We had been a close family who did everything together, but all of that became a broken mess, and the life I knew was gone. My parents' divorce affected my six siblings and me in very significant ways, and the ripple effects of my dad's decision are still present today in our lives and in the lives of our children. Even though my dad stayed involved in our lives, I lost my protector and provider, and I soon learned how to navigate daily life without him. I became very self-reliant and independent, and I was determined to always take care of myself and never rely on anyone to provide for me. Because of the financial insecurity that the divorce created, I started working at age 13 and took on a caretaker role in my family. It was also at this time that I started turning to food for comfort, something I can still struggle with today. I felt a lot of anger toward my dad, and though I loved him deeply, I was an adult before I was able to forgive him for what he had done. The divorce has also impacted me as a wife. My independent mindset caused me to look out for myself first, and because I was the caretaker in my family of origin, I prioritized their needs over my husband Shane's needs. It was hard for me to connect emotionally with Shane in the early years of our marriage, and even now I have a really hard time being vulnerable. I can now recognize how detached I become during moments of conflict, and I have to make myself lean in and engage. In my darkest moments, I feel like I will never be able to love Shane the way I should because of how damaged I feel from the divorce. It's only by God's grace that we ourselves are not divorced, although we came close. Today, our marriage is strong and sure thanks to God's redemptive work in our lives. The divorce has also affected our children. Shane and I are raising our kids to follow God's ways, and we teach them that marriage is a lifelong commitment. So it's a difficult conversation to have with them when they ask why Gramps and Grandma aren't married to each other anymore. It's a hard thing to explain to a four-year-old, especially because we don't want our kids to think that one day Daddy and Mommy will change their minds the way their Gramps did. These are conversations that I wish I didn't have to have. For those of you who are contemplating divorce and believe the lie that kids are resilient and they will be okay, I would like to close with this. Several years ago, my dad called us all together for a family meeting. My siblings and I were all curious as to what the meeting was about, and every single one of us jokingly said, maybe mom and dad are getting back together. And this was ridiculous because they were both married to other people, but I think it shows that even as adults, the desire of our hearts was for our family to be whole again. My dad actually called the meeting to ask for our forgiveness, but in spite of the regret he now feels, it's too late to undo what was done. Even though I have forgiven my dad and we have a good relationship today, the wreckage of his decision to divorce my mom is still a painful part of my life, and the sadness never completely goes away. Thanks, Lisa. One thing I want to pull out there, um, for those of you guys maybe that um, have kind of experienced divorce as a, as a kiddo, uh, is you probably, you probably resonated with um, what Alyssa said. You just might not have known how it connects to uh, your own story. But Alyssa said, I became like fiercely independent. Right? And I just didn't, I didn't like, attach to my parents. I didn't depend on them. I didn't depend on others the same way maybe some of my kids did. And you better believe that had an impact 
uh, on Alyssa and uh, Shane when, when they got married. And so if that's part of your story, you need, you need, to, you need to have real candid conversations. Hey, how, how do you think this has impacted me? How has this impacted uh, our marriage? Do I, are we interdependent in the way probably that God had designed or is something, um, is a coping mechanism? Have I, have I learned a kind of uh, a sinful pattern uh, to relate, uh, relate to others and, and protect uh, self, okay? But that's something that we see a lot. And so that, that is something that happens to kids. Um, uh, statistically in spades when they go through uh, divorce. And so that's just it's helpful to know. Uh, if you're contemplating that, it's helpful to know if that is uh, part of your story. Okay, thanks. Uh, thanks, Alyssa. Uh, Brett Brewster, I want to share. Brett and uh, these guys have been leaders, for, I don't know, 10, how long? Forever. Well, three years. Three years now. No, this has been longer than that. There's no no way. There's no way it's only been three. Yeah. I am. I'm the the senile old man. Okay. I still. I'd love to pull a uh, a roster, but I will trust you. So it seems like you guys have been around. Well, how long would you have said that they've been here? He's led yeah. many groups. So many yeah. groups. Okay. Uh, but uh, he and Jane have been around quite a while and uh, super, super wise. And uh, so do you mind sharing some of your own story, Brett? Sure, sure. Uh, my earliest childhood memories are of my parents fighting. When I was eight years old, they divorced. All of the anger and fighting that I'd been exposed to and the turmoil that their divorce um, led to made me very angry as a child. And for the next few years, I got into lots of fights in school. I was 11 when my mother remarried. Uh, my stepfather's job led us to move across the country uh, pretty much immediately. And it resulted in me leaving the only home I'd ever known. And it was a very destabilizing uh, time. Uh, The change was devastating to me. Uh, My younger sister and I would go twice a year to visit our father. And every visit, he would tell me that when I turned 14, the court said I could choose whom I wanted to live with. Asking a child to choose between their parents is a terrible thing. I couldn't choose one parent over the other, so I learned to lie and tell him I would consider it. It produced terrible anxiety. During our visits, he would talk disparagingly about my mother. And after he remarried, my stepmother would also criticize my mother. My stepfather's career would have us move twice more before I graduated high school. Ultimately, all of this led me to be a very lonely child who felt insecure and depressed And so by the time I was 14, I began to experiment with alcohol as a way of dealing with the insecurity and depression. The dependence on alcohol continued into adulthood and became a serious problem that almost cost me my marriage. When my wife, Jan, who is also a child of divorce, threatened to divorce me, I turned to God and submitted to his will. Today, Jan and I have turned our lives completely over to God and his ways. As a result, our marriage is strong, divorce has long since been taken off the table, and our children were spared the pain that we both endured. My mother passed away recently, but before she died, we talked a great deal about her regrets. 
She realized she had made so many selfish decisions in pursuing her own happiness and had ignored God's will. And she recognized that it had terrible long-term consequences for my sister and me. So tonight I would say that if you think divorce will improve your life, it won't. Turn your life over to Christ and let him lead you and your family to the life we were all created for. You cannot give your children a greater gift. That's good. So, um, you know, we, di- we didn't choose these stories because we were trying to tease anything out, but there's some things here that I definitely want to tease out that are uh, statistically absolutely uh, spot on. So number one, uh, this idea of, you know, you heard Brett just saying that kind of, he was scrambled kind of uh, emotionally. And I remember a couple years ago we were talking about this, uh, with this topic with Ryan Nixon, and he said, man, this, it's just so selfish uh, when parents get divorced. And, and they'll use this line to kind of make things easier. Uh, boy, kids are emotionally resilient. Right. The kids are emotionally resilient. They'll get over that. Which is to say that, you know, uh, parents, they must be emotionally fragile because they couldn't possibly, you know, be in any kind of relationship that would be hard. So they're fragile. Therefore, you know, they'll get divorced and leave it up to the kids to kind of deal with some of the carnage. And they do. They deal with, uh, deal with that carnage. Okay. And the second thing you heard Brett say, just, you know, we'll just put it under the category of risky behavior. Okay. So for him, it was drinking, but any, basically any, anything that goes under that category of risky behavior and you put kids of divorce, uh, they're the ones that are, that are hitting those marks. You know, for example, I think the, if I remember the numbers, like seven out of 10 kids who run away, uh, from home, uh, their, their parents will be, uh, uh, divorced, you know, like you have violent crime and all that. Any, any, like kids in prison, I think it's like eight and ten percent, eight out of ten. Uh, so eighty percent of those kids won't have mom and dad uh, in the home, and so that absolutely, it absolutely impacts uh, the kids. And don't for a second think that they'll just somehow uh, get over it. Okay, and so Brett, like he's not making um, just a theoretical argument uh, to you. He's telling you firsthand that this impacts kids, and think that through. Uh, before you contemplate that, okay? And it doesn't matter if your kids are little uh, or if they're, uh, if they're old. Even, even if they're out of the house, it still messes. Uh, it still messes with kids, and they would want you to know that. So, Brett, thanks so much, buddy. Uh, Sonia McEwen, uh, Sonia and Matt have been leading around here. Uh, you might, how long, well, I'll, I'm a horrible guesser. It's still longer than three, I will argue. But uh, how, long have you, how long have you been around uh, here? We don't get to count this year because we didn't lead a group. So, but we did seven before that. Seven, seven years. Okay, so these guys have been uh, stalwarts here and reengaged. So, Sonia, do you mind sharing some of your own story? Yeah. Sure. Um, so, my parents were high school sweethearts and um, divorced within uh, two years of being married. And I chalked it up to uh, being just young and immature. They both remarried quickly within a year of divorcing. My dad, um, his second marriage lasted a few months, um, went on and married again the third time, and they stayed together for, um, or have been together for close to 40 years. My mom remarried, uh, a man 27 years, her senior, and nobody gave them a chance of making it, but they did for more than 40 years. So I think about um, sitting in your in your chair thinking, oh, well, it turned out okay, right? For them, 40 years, that's great. Um, but I, I would just argue it's not okay. Um, wasn't okay for me as a kid that kids are the biggest losers in divorce. Um, just wanted to share that kind of growing up because I was so small, my dad lived in other cities and so he would come to see, I saw him maybe three times a year. He would come through, got on a motorcycle in his 20s to kind of find himself 
And uh, not sure if he did or not, but I know that just the infrequent contact with him made me, left me feeling um, unloved as a little girl and lonely, lost, insecure. But uh, whenever I was planning to see him on those Fridays, I just nine times out of 10 would end up in the nurse's office, uh, stomach, just stomach issues. I was sure I had some kind of virus and uh, would go home. Mom would make the phone call to dad, she's sick. And all of a sudden, you know, all my issues were magically gone. And looking back, I mean, it's so obvious. It was just, I was just so anxious about that time with him. So a couple of years ago, my dad and stepmom were driving to Dallas and got a 12-hour drive, got halfway here. And um, growing up, one of the things that I, because my dad, I would call him flaky back then, uh, just wouldn't show up, would show up six hours later, no cell phones back then, and uh, when he would show up, um, you know, we would go off and do whatever, but uh, I just remember as a kid standing at the window waiting for my dad one time that it was days later when he actually showed, and so a couple years ago when they were driving, they got six hours here, turned around, his stomach was bothering him, and they turned around and went back to Nashville, and it was like it hit me for the first time just such a trigger moment for me that here I was, that kid, just waiting at the window again, and Dad had disappointed me again. Thanks, Sonia. <laughs> Sonia's a, uh, so like Alyssa, a very strong, a very uh, independent, um, and I think is a, is a kind of a coping mechanism for what happened to her as a kiddo, and uh, even in that strength, still, still just wants to connect with her dad and finds it difficult. Um, and so, uh, so think that through. Do the math, the long-term math, uh, on your decisions and what that will cost um, you and your family. So, um, Will is uh, is connected to divorce in a, in a different way. Uh, Will is a family uh, uh, lawyer, family practices family law, and is a reengage leader. So, uh, you heard you heard me correct, uh, okay? And he is. Uh, he, uh, he fights uh, for marriages, and uh, both, and we, we, I say, Will, so what do you say when someone comes to your office? And uh, I think he really is trying to honor Christ and his, uh, his profession, which would be difficult, uh, and as a, an outworking, and as a way he wants to serve uh, and use his gifts. Um, he works with couples uh, here and, uh, and implores, begs, pleads with them uh, to, stay, to stay married and work on their marriage, okay? Um, so, Will, I'd love from your, your perspective to share uh, two things. One, uh, here's what I assume couples say when they come to you. One, or someone comes to you, I just want to be done uh, with this guy or this gal, and I just want to be happy. And they think that you and what you can offer uh, them or what the courts can offer them are the answers uh, to those two things. A, being done with them, and B, being happy. Has that been, has that been your experience from the, the seat that you sit in? Actually, John, no, it hasn't been. Uh, what I actually see is, is that when people come to me, they have a significant number of problems and issues with their life um, that they can't control. But they think, well, the one thing I can control is the marriage and the bad relationship that I'm in. So uh, I see this time and time again. Well, I'm just going to finish my marriage, end my marriage, get rid of the person that's a problem in my life, and therefore that'll make all of the rest of my problems better. And what it typically does is just the opposite, because instead of nurturing and caring for the one person that can be your strongest ally, what you're doing is, is discarding that person and getting rid of somebody that could be your most staunch defender, protector, and comforter uh, outside of Christ. 
And so, you know, to answer the question, John, no, I, I, I tell people it's not going to make you happy. People ask me, what's, what, what will doing this for 25 years, what do you see as the number one cause of divorce? And it's, it's selfishness. It's just like what uh, several folks down here have said. It's, it's, it's the most selfish thing you can do. Um, I try to have that conversation with everybody that comes in my door. I say, I'm going to take off my lawyer hat and ha tell you the reality hat of what's going to look like in your life if you decide to go through with this and what it's going to do to you and your own heart and your children. But it all boils down to just being selfish, guys. It's the most selfish thing you can do. And, and the verse that I go to is Philippians 2, verses 3 and 4. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in lowliness of mind. Let each of you esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. And I tell you what, guys, if every husband and every wife would do nothing more than live out that one verse, Philippians 2, verses 3 and 4, uh, you'd put me out of business. <laughs> there you go. Then I can Fine. come on staff at Watermark and drink coffee and read the Bible. And, you know. Uh, wow. <laughs> wow. All right. Let me tell you, this church cannot afford Susan Cox by the hour. I can assure, I can assure you, she does a lot more than uh, sit around and read her Bible and pray. So, um, yeah, statistically, it's a, it's a lie that, A, you will be happier, okay? And so um, you, you run, the, run the stats. Uh, couples who get divorced uh, statistically are no happier than they, than they were. That's what they think. I can just finally get rid of this guy, this gal, then I will be happy. And the second is, like, um, you know, that, that I will be done. I'll be done with them. And, uh, and these guys had uh, tons, their, their parents had tons and tons and tons of interactions uh, with each other. Uh, even, you know, as, um, as an adult, uh, Sonia being an adult child of divorce, uh, that, that whole dynamic was still in play as it is uh, with these guys here. And so you're not, yeah, A, you probably won't be happier, and B, you're probably not going to be uh, done with them, okay? So that's just why we use the metaphor of if you're in a room, go ahead and just lock the doors and take away those options. Um, and then uh, the research would say that you tend to work it out. If you take off the option of, of divorce and you go, you know what, we're going to be married to each other till we die, you tend to invest in it like a house that you're going to live in forever. If you go, I'm not sure I'm going to live in the house, then you don't take care of the house, then you don't like the house, then you let the house go to foreclosure. Okay? And you can just reverse the, the decision by saying, no, we're going to live and invest in this house uh, until we die. And then you, like, you, you, you fix it up, you end up liking your house, you end up not wanting to leave your house. And marriage really does work the same way. Now, let me say this, um, what, we're not, what we're not advocating is someone um, being in a marriage, being, being in a home specifically uh, where there is domestic violence. Okay? So all this like coming hard uh, at you with divorce, no one is advocating uh, that you get beat up either emotionally or physically. Okay? If that's going on, we want to talk about that. Okay? We believe very, very strongly uh, in the covenantal nature of marriage. Matthew 19, 6, um, Jesus said that God has joined us together. It's not just that I chose my wife, Pam, but God also, in that moment when we made our vows, he supernaturally joined us together, and it's not our place to break uh, break that covenant or break those vows because God, God has actually joined us together. We believe that deeply.
okay? And uh, we, that's why we're here. We want to fight for everyone to experience all the richness and wonder that God has for us uh, in marriage. But if there is domestic violence going on, we want to know about it, okay? And we wouldn't advocate you staying in the home um, at, at whatever risk, uh, potential risk, um, even though we believe deeply uh, in the sanctity and covenant of marriage. We're going to talk about that. So uh, I want to wrap up, but just real quick, any, anything else? I've got to share this, otherwise I'll bring up Susan and we'll close. So anything, I know you have something to say, brother. I know you do. Uh, but any, anybody else? Okay, you, get, you can have the last word. Go ahead. Yeah. The whole thing about being done, if you have children, you're never done. And people say, well, I'm going to be done. And I said, do you have kids? Yes. I said, you're going to be mom and dad till the day you die. And so what you don't want to have happen is you don't want to have the first time you talk to each other after five years, 10 years, 15 years, is when you have to go down to the morgue to see your child's dead body, which I've had that happen. You just don't want that. And so you're never done. Okay, awesome. Hey, if you would, uh, thank these guys uh, with me here. Thanks so much, Jackson. Awesome, thanks, brother. Um, So, and the last thing, some of you guys are like, hey, we're doing great. Um, We are... uh, you know, I don't know if we're a nine out of 10, but we're doing good. That's, there's no way that will happen to us. I'll tell you, divorce courts are filled with people that say that this will never happen to us. So be sober. Um, understand kind of what, what could happen and let that be a bit of a motivation. So, uh, Susan, I'll give you the last word. But um, uh, a few weeks ago, as a married team, we went down to the um, family courts in Dallas. And um, never been there I uh, always wanted to, this, this stuff is a bit theoretical to me. I've walked, I've walked with couples um, through divorce, but we wanted to go see it kind of firsthand. And, um, and so uh, Susan and I were sitting in, in one of the, uh, the courtrooms, and uh, Susan was actually to my, my left, and, uh, and we just sat there for about three hours and watched people come in. Uh, some of the divorces were finalized, and it was just like they were paying a traffic ticket, you know. And the judge would, he was stamping stuff, printing stuff, sign here, I need you know, 25 bucks or whatever it was, and they walked out, and they said, divorce is final. And, and I remember, you know, um, Susan just sitting there just kind of weeping, and the very, the, you know, just when we thought we'd kind of seen enough, the very last case of the day, um, this family, or a, mo- a, uh, a mom and a dad, who were, turns out, you know, previously married, are there. Um, he's moving up north, and he wants to take his, they live down south in, in Dallas, he wants to take his son with him uh, up north, call it McKinney, and she doesn't, she's kind of filed an injunction, and uh, they start duking it out, you know, um, and then it just, like, all 10 years comes back up in front of us. They're playing voicemails, they're, you know, Your Honor, you need to know this, 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 and the story, the story comes out. And so, um, if I were to let your imagination run wild and I said, hey, imagine what happens to a 17-year-old boy whose parents are busy fighting with each other or fighting other things and aren't paying attention to him. Like, whatever you have in your mind, you're like, oh, I, I, know, what, I know what happened to that 17-year-old boy. I'll just spare you the gory details, but I would say 5X that. 5X whatever is like the worst possible scenario you have in your, your head, and that's what this kid had gone through. Both parents loved him, but they were so distracted and both not present, like some horrific, horrific things had happened uh, to that kiddo. And, you know, Susan kind of went from a a slow sniffle just to, and we just watched, we watched that and um, we went and we debriefed as a team 
and uh, we had you know we had lunch. And um, you guys ready to get back? Yeah. And it was like everybody got in their car and like the wheels spun out, and they all went back to the office to make sure what we just saw didn't happen. Okay. And that's why that's why we're here. Not just um, not just for the kiddos, not just for you, but also for uh, God's renown. And that, that's part of what's at stake here. And we believe deeply uh, that no matter where you are, no matter where you are, you can have the marriage that God intended for you to have. And it doesn't have to end this way. And if you're contemplating it, the best advice we could give you is just to take that off the table and really invest in your marriage like you're going to be there uh, for the next 25 years. So I'll give you the last thought and then we'll be done. In 08, I showed up in this room with hotel room keys in my purse. I was in the middle of an affair, and I believed the lie that if I divorced my husband and would go start a new life with this other person, that that's surely where I would find joy and happiness and completion. And what I discovered was just that. It was just a bold-faced life in the pit of hell. And I, I look back over that time, and I think, oh my gosh, God, only you could take a marriage where a woman had hotel room keys in her purse and he's now given me the key to a church. (laughs) Come on, right? I mean, come on. That's crazy. And so we, he's so right. I mean, our feet hit the ground. We are warriors for marriage. We stand ready to love and care for you. And if tonight is your very first time, we're going to break in just a moment and go a lot of different directions. And if you're here for the first time, we'd love to ask you to come down to my right, your left, and give Roll and I a chance to get to meet you and help answer any questions you may have about Reengage. If you've already been a part of Newcomers, we're going to ask that you go to one of our three open group rooms, 210, 211, 212. If Spanish is your native language, we have an offer of room 207. Those classrooms can be found right outside these doors. Take a right, go across the skywalk, and choose any of the open groups. Remember, we are not meeting next week or the following week. We will be kicking off the new year, January 3rd. I'm happy to tell you that we're starting 10 new groups in January, so get excited. Yeah. Tonight, we're also celebrating several groups that finished, and I don't know if we have a slide or not, but you should have received your email. There's five groups finishing tonight. We've got refreshments and a party set up for you on the third floor in the tower to get there, out these doors, take a right, go across the skywalk to the third floor. Hey, guys, Merry Christmas. We can't wait to see you again in January. Let's have a great night pursuing oneness.